Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in four locations serving the communities of the Georgian Triangle. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, if you've been following along, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, which we've entitled Investigating Jesus. And the reason that we chose that title is because of what the author Luke said as he began this gospel. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1, he wrote, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, in case you might have missed the first parts of this series, and it's been a long series, you need to know that Luke was researching and writing this while the eyewitnesses to the events were still alive and still available. And as you see, as you read this gospel, Luke was a stickler for detail, and as he said, he researched carefully. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, over the past few weeks, We've been hearing Jesus teach about the subjects of accountability and what in the church we call lordship. Lordship is the recognition that God, as our creator, is entitled to first place in our lives. This was made very clear when an expert in Jewish law asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's found in Matthew 22. Now, over the last few weeks, we've heard various teachings of Jesus on the subject. Sometimes he has talked about possessions. Sometimes he has talked about our priorities. And sometimes he has related recent events. And at other times, he's given parables, a type of object lesson. Last week, we heard about how each of us will be held accountable for the choices that we make about our relationship with God and how we live our lives. Now, the reason Jesus is hitting this subject so hard is that these events are taking place in the weeks leading up to his crucifixion. He had set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that it would mean his death. He would give his life willingly to pay the price for the sins of his nation and of the world and of you and me. He was the Messiah, but he was about to become a rejected Messiah. So he has been calling out the religious establishment for their disobedience of God's commands. They have been more focused on appearances than on matters of the heart, like mercy, compassion, and love for God and people. In fact, in the last words of last week's text, Jesus said, Unless you repent, you too will all perish. It was a difficult message. To repent simply means to turn, turn from the way they were doing things, and make a change. Stop rejecting God and His ways, and learn to live in love, honor, and respect. Which leads us to this week's text. It's found in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And it's actually a short parable that Jesus uses to give us a spiritual truth. Here's what it says. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. 
So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. See, in this agrarian society to whom Jesus was speaking, this illustration would be relatable to everyone. And biblically, the nation of Israel was often referred to figuratively as a fig tree. In fact, most of those listening to Jesus here would likely have immediately thought of the Old Testament prophet Micah, who in Micah chapter 7 and verse 1 spoke of judgment against Israel when the Messiah came because it was like a fig tree with no fruit on it. So the reference to cutting it down would make sense to them. It's the rest of these verses that likely made them wonder. See, the man who owned the fig tree here is an obvious reference to God. This is God's vineyard, and it's his soil and his tree, carrying right along with what Jesus has been teaching previously. Because it's his vineyard, and he expects his plants, his trees, to produce fruit, he has every right to have it removed when it doesn't. Now, if you garden at all, you can relate to this. I have raised gardens in my backyard, so there's very limited space for what I plant. Now, in one of them, I planted three different varieties of tomatoes and some cucumbers this year. The problem is that this was a horrible year, at least for me, for tomatoes and for cucumbers. Now, the only plants that produced a half-decent crop were the cherry tomatoes. The others, it was a waste of good soil. What a disappointment. It would be even worse for a fruit tree. See, I replant the, the plants I plant every year so I could change it up. But a tree takes time to reach maturity. There's a lot invested in it. And the owner, God, has had enough of wasting time on this tree, Israel. Well, why? Israel had what no other nation on earth had. They had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the prophets sent by God. They had the word of God spoken through the prophets. They had seen God provide for them miraculously down through the centuries. They had the temple, both in the wilderness and then in Jerusalem, where they experienced the presence of God. And God had called them to be a blessing to every nation as they shared the good things that God had given them. Yet they had turned all of that in on themselves. They had not fulfilled their part of the covenant that God had made with them. So again, Jesus uses the historical theme of the fig tree representing Israel to paint a picture of their situation in a way that they could clearly understand. Now, in Matthew 3, verse 10, John the Baptist had said it in a much more pointed way. Speaking to the religious leaders, he declared, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, Jesus, three years later, says something similar. But there's a different here, difference here. There's another character brought into the picture. He's described as the caretaker of the vineyard. He's the one who has been put in charge of all of the trees. And in this parable, he takes the role of advocate for the tree, for Israel. He asks the owner of the vineyard for more time. He negotiates. He says, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. He's asking for another chance for the tree to produce what it was made to produce. And he will help with that. He will do the work that is necessary. He will dig up around the tree and put fertilizer in the soil where it can make its way to the roots. And at the end of the year, 
Everything that could have been done will have been done. There will be no excuse. And so he says, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Well, here's the thing. Ultimately, there will be a judgment, and that's the point here. By the way, you don't have to think very much to understand that the one caring for the tree is Jesus. That's who the story represents. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our advocate with the Father, and here is a good picture of that. So we have the fig tree representing the nation of Israel. We have God as the owner who is ready to pass judgment on the tree. And we have Jesus who is advocating for more time and digging up the roots in an effort to bring life. Okay, so now let's apply it to our own lives and try to understand what this means for us today. Because this wasn't just about Israel. See, one of the cool things about the parables is that they had different layers of meaning and application. They were designed to make people think, and Jesus was very good at that. It would be far too easy for us to simply say, well, that's a nice story about Israel, but it has absolutely nothing to do with me. And that's where you would be wrong. There are actually several lessons that we can take from this for our own lives. So I want to do that today. First of all, we are responsible for what we do with what God gives us. See, the Bible teaches us that each one of us is created in the image of God, and we were created by Him and for Him. We each have unique talents, abilities, and resources made available to us. Now, mine aren't the same as yours, and yours aren't the same as mine. We're different, and that's a good thing. The fig tree was not being judged because it wasn't producing almonds or peaches. The expectation was that as a fig tree, it would produce figs. Now, what does that mean for me? Well, Sometimes I can place unrealistic expectations on myself. I wish I could preach like Billy Graham, lead like John Maxwell, or save money like Dave Ramsey. <laughs> I can't. I am who I am. But the Bible teaches me that I am responsible for being the best version of Tony Denbach that I can be. Now, in the previous chapter, in Luke 12, verse 48, Jesus said, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's my choice. I decide whether or not I will apply myself to learn, to grow, to change, to bear fruit. Second thing we can learn from this is we will be judged on our fruitfulness. None of us likes the idea of judgment, but the truth is that it is built into the fabric of our lives. See, when we're in school, we are tested or judged on our knowledge of the material that we've covered. When we're on the job, we're trained for the task at hand, and we are ultimately judged on our ability to carry out assignments. If we consistently fail to do what is expected, we won't have a job for long. The good news for us is that God knows us because He made us, and He only expects of us what we're capable of doing. But that's not the best news. There's another point here. We're not alone. Part of the good news, the gospel, is that God didn't leave us alone down here to fend for ourselves. See, the history of mankind is most often the story of us trying to live life without God, trying to get it right on our own, and that hasn't worked out very well. The reason it hasn't worked well, if you don't already know, is that we're all broken. Now, if you're honest with yourself, you already know that. Paul in Romans says that we all fall short of what God expects of us because of that. We all have a failing grade, but that's only part of the story. 
In John 3, 16, 17, Jesus declared, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, we human beings need the life of God. Jesus also declared that he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. Bearing fruit is a natural thing for any healthy plant. It is natural for us when we are connected to God. But we're not just trees or plants without minds or souls. God formed us in his image and made us free moral agents with the ability and the responsibility to choose for ourselves what we're going to do with our lives. See, sometimes I honestly wish that he hadn't given us freedom of choice. Sometimes I wish that he would have just made us do what we're supposed to do. But that wouldn't be loving would it? Now, as we wrap up today, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone ever given you a second chance? Perhaps you messed up and did something that you knew you shouldn't, and maybe your parents were just extra gracious, or maybe you really blew it at work and deserved to be fired, but your boss gave you a do-over, or maybe you were fired, but someone else gave you another opportunity. See, Many of you would have heard of Thomas Edison, one of the greatest inventors the world has ever known. One of his inventions was the light bulb, which was revolutionary. What you may not know was that Edison had more than 1,000 failed attempts at making the light bulb before he finally figured out what would work. Now, the original bulb was incredibly labor-intensive. It took a whole team of men 24 straight hours to put just one together, if you can imagine. The story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young helper who nervously carried it up the stairs. There was a major demonstration planned for the media. And step by step, he cautiously watched his hands, obviously frightened of dropping such a priceless piece of work. And you've probably guessed what happened by now. The poor young guy dropped the bulb at the top of the stairs, and it shattered. It took the entire team of men 24 more hours to make another bulb. Finally, tired and ready for a break, Edison was ready to have his bulb carried up the stairs. He gave it to the same young man who dropped the first one. Now, that's amazing. Edison's friend asked him, why did you give the bulb to the same person who broke the earlier one? And Edison replied, last time when the bulb was broken, the person's heart was also broken. It is not difficult to make another bulb, but to infuse fresh spirit into a broken heart is more difficult. You've messed up in your life. Me too. God gives second chances, and third and fourth. Jesus came to give us all a second opportunity, a second chance to be what God created us to be, Here's what Ann Voskamp had to say about it. She said, When we lay the soil of our hard lives open to the rain of grace and let joy penetrate our cracked and dry places, let joy soak into our broken skin and deep crevices, life grows. How can this not be the best thing for the world for us? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we've heard of your grace, and sometimes we can think that it doesn't apply to us. Perhaps some think they've gone too far or done too much. But the Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, you will forgive us. So we come today in need of grace. Would you forgive and allow us a brand new start? 
Thank you that we know that your answer is yes, if we are sincere. Lead us from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer or would like to speak to someone about anything that you've heard today, please reach out to us at clearviewchurch@rogers.com. So go from this place with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need.